praise the name of the Lord. Now, for the next few moments, I'm going to be preaching a message that the devil doesn't want you to hear. So everybody, please find a place where you can listen, because I'm about to preach the greatest message I've ever preached. Hallelujah. And the devil doesn't want you to hear it. So he'll try to distract you and try to get your mind on a thousand different things. But God is here today to do a great work. And if God be for us, who can be against us? Somebody say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So for the next few moments, we'll delve into what God has for us today. Believing God for the greatest miracle yet. Now, a couple Sundays ago, Brother Billy just got his healing from his lung situation. Unless you've ever had trouble breathing, you may not appreciate that so much. But if you've ever had trouble breathing and you have to struggle to breathe, you know what a relief it is to be able to breathe freely again. So I'm sure... He's excited about that, and I thank God I'm excited too. Today I'm, gonna, I'm going to uh, let the Holy Ghost kind of move on your minds today, and we're going to go together into the Word of God, and I'm going to go back to the story found in Numbers chapter 13 and verse 27. By the way, you're looking very nice this morning. At this point, you're still glad you came. I hope you feel that way when I get done. Hallelujah. But actually, it's a positive, very positive message that God has given me. Praise God. All the first-time visitors, we're very, very happy to have you. And thank you so much for being with us today. It's so good to have you. And those who have come back for the second or third time, wow, I'm impressed. And all the faithful people of God, that really counts. So God bless you. I'm going to the book of Numbers, chapter 13 and verse 27. Are you ready for this? All right. And they told him and said, we came into the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people... Be strong that dwell in the land and the cities and are walled and very great. Moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And then skipping to chapter 14, verse 6, and then I'll read just a moment and let you be seated. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we possessed, we passed through to search it, is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us unto this land and give it us, a land which flows with milk and honey, only Rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. And I'm going to preach something that I call a matter of perspective. So here we go. Lord Jesus, bless us, help us. Let us receive your word with joy. 
Let the anointing of God be upon your word. For Lord, you surely have spoken. And now God, help me to share it with these people what you are saying. I thank you for this now, Lord. I thank you that you're with us. I thank you there's no one in this building that caught you by surprise or their situation caught you by surprise, but you are absolutely able and capable. And we give you praise and glory in the mighty name of Jesus. We say, amen. amen. Praise God. Here we go. Fasten your seatbelts. The 12 who were chosen to spy out the land of Canaan were well known. The Bible says they were men of renown. The Bible tells us that each of those spies that went to spy out the land of Canaan were rulers in their particular tribes. These were not ordinary, average, mundane people. Each was recognized by his peers as a leader. It was a great honor the day that their name was called by Moses to be a part of the powerful group that would get the first glimpse of the promised land. These were hand-picked. These men would see and explore the land, and they would bring back a report of all that they saw. And Moses was very clear when he sent them on this mission. He said, See what the land is like. I, I want you to tell us whether the people who live there are strong or if they're weak, if they're many or few. What kind of land is it? And is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or, or are they fortified cities? And tell us how the soil is. is. Is it fertile or poor? And are there trees in this land? And do your best, he said, to come back with some of the fruit of the land because it was the season, the Bible says, of the first ripe grapes. What these men did not know was that this was a test. They didn't understand that this was a test more of anything of what their perspective of God is and what their perspective of his promises and it was a test of their outlook on life. You see, God already knew all the answers to those questions. He didn't need their help. But their perspective was going to get tested. Little did they realize that this one assignment would be the defining moment of their lives. That how they perceived and spoke about what they saw would determine their own personal destinies. Forty days of viewing the abundance of the land. Forty days of watching and, and watching with, with anticipation. Forty days of marveling at the richness of the soil, the purity of the water, the abundance of the crops. Forty days of measuring the strength of the cities and villages. And finally the time came that they would give their perspective of the whole thing in the ears of the whole nation who were waiting with great anticipation. And so they come back. Here's what they said. We came unto the land where you sent us, and you're right, Mo. It flows with milk and honey. Matter of fact, this is the fruit of it. If they had stopped right then, they would have been okay. But they didn't. And they began to go on, and here's where the, the plane begins to go down. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. And the cities are walled and very great. And we saw the children of Anak there. <laughs> and the Amalekites, they dwell in the land of the south. You know about them big, bad Amalekites and, and, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites. They're all living in the mountains and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast. And they're beginning to have a pity party. And the Bible says Caleb stilled the people and said, wait a minute, let's go up at once. And possess it. 
for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. Now the Bible didn't say they brought up a negative report. The Bible says they, that they brought up an evil report. For God, when we speak unbelief, doesn't look at it as unbelief. He looks at it as evil. They said, the land that we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. You see, when fear is allowed to begin to have its hold, it will increase its hold on your neck. That's why I, I, I command the spirit of fear to leave you and depression and anxiety. I, I, don't, I don't have mercy on that spirit. I have mercy on you. But that spirit's like a bulldog and it will grab the juggler and it will continue to increase its hold. And it got to the point that not only did they say that all these bad people were there, then they started saying the land eats up the inhabitants. And then they said, oh my God, it's not like we even thought. Now all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. See how fear begins to expand. It has to be hit. It has to be contained. Because left to itself, it will grow like a cancer. It goes from an evil report to a land that eats up the inhabitants. It goes from a land that eats up the inhabitants that all the enemies are bigger than you. They're all men of great stature. Verse 33, and there we saw the giants, the son of Anak, which came, would come of the giants. And here's a key, everybody listen. We were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. I'm not preaching to people that do not have faith in God. I'm preaching to somebody that has faith in God, but you don't have any faith in yourself. We were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. Now the two others of the, t of the twelve... Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes, and spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us unto this land, and, and, and he will give it us, a land which flows with milk and honey. And they, they nailed it. They said, Don't rebel against the Lord. Don't fear the people of the land. They are bred for us. Their defense is already departed from them. And the Lord is with us. Fear them not. There is nothing in the biblical record to suggest that before that event, Joshua and Caleb were any greater than the rulers from the other ten tribes. But the same experience, now you listen, that would catapult Joshua and, and Caleb into God's hall of fame. Most people remember those names, Joshua and Caleb, and cause them to be remembered with respect and honor throughout all of time. That same experience would dropkick the other ten into God's nameless hall of shame. Is there anybody here that's not a Bible quizzer? who can stand and recite the names of the ten spies who accompanied Joshua and Caleb without looking at your Bible. Because they were forgotten because of their negative perspective. What is it? You tell me. That causes the same trial, the same experience, the same situation to bring glory to one and groaning to another. What is it that brings fame to one 
but shame to another. Fulfillment to one, but failure to the other. All 12 of these people witnessed the same events. All 12 spies shared the same experience. All 12 risked their lives for the cause. But the 10 said, the people be too strong that dwell in the land. And the two said, they're bred for us. The 10 said, the cities are walled and very great. And the two said, let us go up at once and possess it. We're well able. The ten said, we're not able to go up against the people. They're stronger than us. And, and the two said, their defenses departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. The ten said, we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. And the two said, if the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us unto this land and give it us. What was the difference between these ten and the two? They were all people of God. They were all leaders. They were all exceptional in every way. And I submit to you, it boiled down to one thing. It was their perspective. Now, if I was the devil, I would not want you to hear this because some of you are going, are, are going to go through a situation and you're going to need to have the proper perspective to thrive. You see, your perspective is, is your attitude toward or way of regarding something. It's the basis for everything in your life. Our perspective determines how we react to adversity. I can't stop you from having adversity. You can't stop me from having adversity. All I can do is show you in the Word of God, if you have the right perspective, you will get through that adversity. I have no question that God knew every trial you would face before you were born and he already knew how he would bring you out of it. Perspective is the point of view that you choose. It's the advanced man of our true selves. Its roots are inward but its fruit is outward. It's our best friend or our worst enemy. It's our outward look it's the thing which draws people to us or repels them. It's never content until it's expressed. It's the librarian of our past. It's the speaker of our present. And it's the prophet of our future. What is it? You guessed. It's our perspective, our outlook, our attitude toward life. The things that we choose to see and the things that we choose not to see often say about the little nursery rhyme, uh, rhyme uh, you know, uh, uh, kitty cat, kitty cat, where have you been? Been to London to see the queen. Uh, kitty cat, kitty cat, what did you do while you were there? I frightened a mouse under her chair. And I'm saying, so you go to Buckingham Palace and all you see is a stupid rat. <laughs> you see, perspective is what the, the view, the lens that you view things. The kitty cat didn't see all the beautiful gold and, and the silver and the ornamentation and the beautiful architecture. All I could see was a rat. Your perspective is what you choose to see. I'll get through to you in a moment. Some of you are starting not to like me, I can tell. You see things as you are, not as they are. We'll let that sink in for a moment. What you see, you see things as you are. I've often given this illustration. An English professor wrote the words. Watch this. You ladies might like this. Here's the words, but no punctuation. Woman without her man is nothing. He wrote it on the blackboard. Woman without her man is nothing. And he directed his students to punctuate it correctly. The, the men punctuated as follows. Woman, comma, without her man, comma, is nothing. 
But the women wrote the same sentence. They said, woman, exclamation point, without her common, comma, man is nothing. The very same sentence viewed from two different perspectives. I'll tell you a story. Jeff was the kind of guy you love to hate. Always in a good mood. Always had something positive to say. When someone would ask him how he, was, how he was doing, he would reply, if I were any better, I'd be twins. <laughs> he, he was a unique manager. Se several waiters followed him around from restaurant to restaurant because of his exceptional manager abilities. The reason the waiters followed Jeff was really, though, because of his attitude. He was a, a natural motivator. If, if an employee was having a bad day, Jeff was there telling the employee how to look on the positive side. One day, someone went up to Jeff and they asked him, I, I don't get it. You can't be positive all the time. How do you do it? Jeff replied, each morning, I wake up and I say to myself, Jeff, you have two choices today. You can choose to be in a good mood or you can choose to be in a bad mood. I choose to be in a good mood. Each time something bad happens, I can choose to be a victim or I can choose to learn from it. I choose to learn from it. Every time someone comes to me complaining, I can choose to accept their complaining or I can point out the positive side of life. I choose the positive side of life. I told you he's the kind of guy you love to hate. Yeah, right. It's not that easy, someone protested. Yes, it is, Jeff said. Life is all about choices. When you cut away all the junk, every situation is a choice. Now, you don't get to choose the situations you will go through, but you choose how you will react to those situations. Am I reading your mail yet? I wasn't in your car. I might as well have been. I wasn't in the house to hear your conversation, but I might as well have been. Because God is certainly talking, and I want you to understand that he's telling you what he's telling you, not because he hates you, but because he loves you, and he wants you to thrive. You get to choose how people will affect your mood. You can't choose how somebody else acts. You can only choose how you act. You choose to be in a good mood or you choose to be in a bad mood. The bottom line is God is so great that he gave the choice to you. Several years later, Jeff did something you're never supposed to do in a restaurant business. He left the back door open one morning, was held up at gunpoint, by three armed robbers. While trying to open the safe, his hand, shaking from nervousness, slipped off the combination. The robbers panicked and shot him. Luckily, Jeff was found relatively quickly, rushed to the local trauma center. After 18 hours of surgery and weeks of intensive care, Jeff was released from the hospital with fragments of the bullet still in his body. Somebody saw Jeff about six months after that, and ask him how he was. He said, if I were any better, I'd be twins. Want to see my scars? <laughs> he declined to see his wounds, but asked him what had gone through his mind as the robbery was taking place. He said, well, the first thing that went through my mind was I should have locked that back door. Then I lay on the floor and I remembered that I had two choices. I could choose to live or I could choose to die. And I chose to live. Well, weren't you scared? Didn't you lose consciousness? He asked, Jeff continued, the paramedics were great. They kept telling me I was going to be fine. But when they, looked, they wheeled me into the emergency room, I saw the expressions on their faces. And I got really scared because in their eyes, I could read what they were thinking. They were thinking, he's a dead man. I knew I needed to take action. 
Well, what did you do? His friend asked him. He said, well, there was a big burly nurse shouting questions at me, and she asked if I was allergic to anything. I said, yes. The doctors and nurses stopped, and they waited for my reply. He said, I took a deep breath, and I yelled, bullets! And over their laughter, I told them, I am choosing to live. Operate on me as if I'm alive and not dead. And Jeff lived thanks to Almighty God and the skill of his doctors, but also because of his amazing attitude. I learned from him that day. We have the choice to live fully. Attitude, after all, is everything. Yeah, pastor, you're doing a great job. Keep preaching, keep preaching. Thank you, I will. Jim Smith went to church on Sunday morning. He heard the keyboardist miss a note during the worship service, and he winced. He saw a teenager talking when everybody else was supposed to be praying. He felt like the usher was actually watching him to see what he put in the offering plate, and it made him boil. He caught the preacher making a slip of tongue five times in the sermon by actual count. And as he slipped out the door during the altar service, he muttered to himself, Never again. What a bunch of clods and hypocrites. Ron Jones went to church on Sunday morning. He heard the keyboardist play Amazing Grace, and he was thrilled by the majesty of it. He heard a young girl take a moment in the service to speak her simple, moving message of the difference her faith was making in her life. He was glad to see that his church was sharing in a special Save Our Children offering. He especially appreciated the message that day. Thank you very much. It answered a question that had bothered him for a long time. He thought as he walked out the doors of the church, how can a man come here and not feel the presence of God? But the irony of the whole thing is that both men went to the same church on the same Sunday morning. Each were looking through his individual perspective at the very same things. I feel like scratching my mouth because I want to tell you a story. Grandpa was in the bedroom sleeping. One time my son Eric, my, my father was quite a snorer and Eric woke up, he was just a little kid, he said, Mama, there's pigs outside. <laughs> this boy went into the kitchen and he got some Lindberger cheese. He tiptoed up. Uh-huh. You know what I'm talking about, Sister Alicia? Huh? Little mischievous boy. Sweethearts. He took some Lindberger cheese and he put it on the tip of his finger. He tipped into the bedroom. And he went. A little dab will do you. Ma, this bedroom stinks. Ma, this kitchen stinks too. Ma, this living room stinks. I'm going outside. Ma, the whole world stinks.
Some saw the promised land as a place of sure defeat. Come on now. People are people. The Old Testament church, those stories are written down for us so we don't repeat those mistakes. And some of the, uh, the people of God saw the promised land as a place of sure defeat and torturous death. They said, Moses, we wish you had left us in Egypt. At least we had leeks and garlics. But some saw it as God's gift, and it was the most promising land in the world. Some saw the tabernacle as just a, nothing but a sorry-looking uh, tent with pelts strung over poles. Other people said, oh, man, this is a very meeting place with Almighty God. Some saw Moses as some kind of a self-appointed dictator who randomly imposed his will on others. And some saw Moses as a man of God. Some saw giants, some saw grapes, some looked through eyes of fear and distrust, some looked through eyes of faith and trust, and some died in the wilderness, and some lived in the promised land, and I submit to you, it was all a matter of perspective. Hear me, O Judah, you inhabitants of Jerusalem, 2 Chronicles 20, 20, believe in the Lord your God. Lord, your God, so shall you be established. Believe his prophets, so shall you prosper. Outlook does determine outcome. I've got several men and women here in this church that are leaders in, in various companies and, and businesses. And you know that what I'm saying is absolutely true, not only in your walk with God, but it's, it's true in life. It's true in business. It's true of the guys you hire. It's true of the guys that work for you or the people that work with you. Perspective is everything. The Bible says, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. It's biblical. Now put yourself back in Noah's day. You get up in the morning, you put your boots on, your clothes on, you walk out and say, Noah! You've got building materials blocking my driveway. I'm going to be late for work. Noah's neighbors looked at the ark as some kind of a disgusting eyesore. And can you imagine, you ever been to a zoo? You know what it's like when you walk in certain areas of the zoo? I'm sure that the ark had an aroma, something like a, a kind of mammoth outhouse. But Noah saw the ark as a vehicle that would lift him and his family above the flood and above the wrath of God. And he never strayed too far from the ark all the days of his life before the flood. Cain saw his brother as an irritation, a no-good do-gooder. But the brotherly love of Jonathan saved David's life. It's the best of times. It's the worst of times. Your call. Yes. Yes. You get to say it. It's the best of times. It's the worst of times. Your call. God's going to pass you the microphone. And you're going to get to declare what it is. And it will be what you declare it is. For you were made in the image of God. And you create the world that you were going to live in. I think that's so good, I'm going to clap my hands. Uh, understand something. I'm not just preaching this to you. God preached this to me. This is true for everybody. It works for everybody. It's the best of times. It's the worst of times. And it's your call. Listen to me. Doubt sees the obstacles. Faith sees the way. Doubt sees the darkest night. Faith sees the day. Doubt dreads to take a step. Faith soars on high. Doubt questions who believes. Faith answers, I
I'm not getting paid by the hour. So I'm not trying to stretch this too long. But Jim said, amen, amen. <laughs> but to achieve your, your dreams, let's just go through the alphabet real quick. What's the first letter? Avoid negative sources. To achieve your dreams, remember your ABCs. A means avoid negative sources, avoid negative people, avoid negative places, avoid negative things, avoid negative habits. As somebody said, this is going to be a long message. He's only on A. Believe in God. And almost as importantly, believe in yourself. I see Pentecostals who believe in God, but they have no self-confidence. God wants you to have confidence. There's an old story about the happy little boy who went out into the field. I, I saw Sister Amy. Yes, I took a picture of her playing ball out in the field with Carson and Garrett. I never want to have to get hit by that woman. She hit a ball, went way over Garrett's head. Careful, son. Little boy had a baseball cap, and he was carrying a baseball and a bat, and on his face, there was this look of tremendous confidence. Cocking his bat, he tossed the ball in the air, and he said, I'm the greatest batter in the world, and he swung and missed. Strike one, he said. He picked up the ball, looked at it, puzzled, threw it in the air again, swung, I'm the greatest batter in the world. Once again, he missed. Strike two, he said. This time, he looked at the bat as though maybe there's a hole in this bat. He checked it over. Then he picked up the ball, adjusted his cap, and tossed the ball into the air. And for the third time, he repeated, I'm the greatest batter in the world, and swung with all of his might and missed the third time. Wow, he cried. What a pitcher! I'm the greatest pitcher in the world. <laughs> Consider things from every angle. Don't go off half cocked. Don't give up. Enjoy life. Family treasures are hidden treasures, and friends are wonderful. Give more than you planned. Hang on to your dreams. Ignore discouragers. What did you say? Just do it. Keep trying no matter how hard it seems. It will get better. Love God first and like yourself. Make it happen. Never lie, cheat or steal. Open your eyes and see things as they really are. Practice makes perfect. Quitters never win. Read, study, and learn about everything. Stop procrastinating. Take control of your own destiny. You're getting too quiet for me. I want to hear you. you. Understand yourself in order to better understand others. Please. Visualize your dream. Want it more than anything. Do you say X? Well, accelerate your effort. You are unique. What? We got to the end of the alphabet. Zero in on it and go for it. Somebody, somebody wrote a song. Somebody wrote a song back in my mom's day. 
And he said, you've got to accentuate the positive, eliminate the negative, latch on the affirmative, and don't mess with Mr. In-Between. Hallelujah. Let's stand. Wow, I'm the greatest pitcher in the world. Will the musicians please come? That's you, Sister Amy. (laughs) Elizabeth Woodman could tell you how important it is to trust your father in a crisis. One April afternoon, 39-year-old Edward Woodman was steering his houseboat toward the north end of California's Lake Oroville. His 11-year-old son, David, was at his side. He did not see his 8-year-old daughter, Elizabeth, fall over the bow. The girl tumbled helplessly between the aluminum pontoons of the houseboat straight toward the churning outboard motor at the stern. Hitting the propeller, the blades tore into her right arm and then jammed in the tangled mass of her pink sweater. While she tried to free herself, Elizabeth remembered what her father had told her so many times. The only thing that can hurt you in the water is panic. Calmly, she tried to untangle her sweater from the prop while she reminded herself over and over, my daddy will save me. Edward heard the thud under the boat and he felt the engine stop. Puzzled, he he walked to the stern and looked over the railing, seeing Elizabeth's pink sweater. The father jumped into the dark water, found his daughter. She stared back at him with no fear. No panic, just patient trust. Her calmness would give her father a chance to free her. Elizabeth's father's surface filled his lungs with air, descended to breathe life-giving air into her mouth and then yanked and, and cut it to pink threads that were holding her daughter under again and again, four and, and then five and, and then six times he surfaced, filled his lungs and descended to breathe life-giving air into his daughter's mouth while working frantically to free her from that problem. Finally, he got her free into the surface. In moments, they were at full throttle, headed for the nearest marina and to a hospital where her arm was mended and she suffered no lasting ill effects. The next day, a reporter asked eight-year-old Elizabeth if she had been afraid during the rescue. Eight-year-old Elizabeth hazel eyes looked at her father And I quote, Oh, I knew my daddy would save me. And he did. Don't you know that you're worth more than the sparrows? Don't you know that your father takes care of the sparrows? And and are you not much more valuable than a sparrow? Don't you understand that he he closed the lily of the valley and and are you not not much more precious to your father than the lily? Oh, I know my father will save me. I'm not afraid. I know my father will save me. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth.
as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I don't know the situations that you were contemplating when you walked in, but I know God read somebody's mail. He didn't do that to embarrass you. He did that because he loves you. want you to know that he's got this. You need to begin to change your attitude. Accentuate the positive. Minimize the negative. And don't have anything to do with Mr. In-Between. bowed, eyes closed. Is there anybody in this room that feels like God was speaking to you? And you'd like to say, God, here I am. I refuse to let my vision be centered on the negative things. Lord, let me be like the two who saw the opportunity and not like the ten who saw only the difficulties. God, you're able. Now, I am talking to more than one person here today. I'll rephrase that. God is talking to more than one person here today. are a precious child of God. God loves you. Now will you change your perspective please? I got to work on mine. You got to work on yours. But hey, I want to have that faith perspective. I don't want to be one of the guys that dies in the wilderness. I, I want to be one of the people that makes it to the promised land. I hate to say an old phrase, but attitude determines altitude. It's not how little gifted or how much gifted. It's not how pretty or how handsome. It's not about how good or how bad. It's about your perspective. I believe. I believe. I close today with this remembrance for you. Some of you heard me tell this story. The missionary told us that the little native woman, she had her baby in her arms and her baby was blind. And she walked toward the front and, and the missionary was praying for sick people. And this little native woman said, I believe, I believe. That's all she was saying, I believe. I believe, I believe. God's not looking at your gifting. He's looking at your believing. He said when she got to the front, the baby was healed. Because mama was just saying, I believe, I believe, I believe. What are you going through today? What's your situation? What's happening in your life right now? What are you facing? I don't know, but I will say this. Lift your eyes above your problems. Turn your eyes on Jesus and begin to say, I believe, I believe, I believe. And Jesus will do a miracle. Not because I deserve it, but because I believe. I believe. Come on, church. Let's gather toward the front, everybody that wants to. Let's just fill the whole side and the front today with people who are believing. I want you to come if you believe, if you will believe. Come, come, come. Saints of God, visitors, guests, doesn't matter. Anybody who believes.
believes, come. And as you're coming, I want you to be thinking in your heart. I believe. I believe. I believe. Help me not to see the negative. Help me not to hear about the bad, but help me to see the positive. Let me accentuate the positive and minimize the negative. I believe. I believe you, Jesus. I believe you, Jesus. I believe Jesus saves and his blood washes whiter than snow. I believe Jesus saves and his blood washes whiter than snow. Oh, I believe Jesus saves and his blood washes whiter than snow. I believe Jesus saves and his blood washes whiter than snow. That's it, just say, I believe Jesus saves and his blood washes whiter than snow. My Jesus saves, and his blood washes whiter than snow. Yeah.